That happens to be my wife's and some of my other family's favorite song. So that worked out perfect. They love doing the lifted part. Um, If I don't start a stopwatch, I'll only go for 12 minutes and I'll think that I really did something great. (laughs) So, um, actually, yeah, I used to, um, about 20 years ago, attend this church. Um, believe it or not, um, I was really a punk back then. My mom used to kind of drag me here. I was talking to brother Dale and brother Bob when I first got here a little early and told them a little bit about that. But, um, I'm very thankful for a, uh, a godly mother who spent countless hours uh, praying for me on her knees. I can't even tell you how uh, merciful God has been with me. And um, truthfully, I'm really glad that God didn't drop the hammer on uh, me at, like he should have. Um, he could have definitely, um, you know, he's just been very merciful with me. So it's really awesome to be up here behind this uh, pulpit in particular, just knowing that I was here before, but my heart was far from God. And now, uh, thank God I've gotten back on the right path and we're serving the Lord now. Um, and I'm really thankful for that. And I'm thankful for the opportunity to be here. And, um, you know, I hear a lot of people, a lot of pastors, and I've heard a lot of speakers talk about how hard the path of the Christian life can be. And, um, I think that that's true, but I just think in particularly life, uh, in general is a, you know, has its ups and downs, right? I mean, it's tough regardless of which path you choose, right? If you are on the right path, there's, there's going to be difficulties. Yes. Um, but if you're on the wrong path and I can tell you from experience, there's difficulties, both sides of the path. And I think, um, I think it's easier to say that, uh, really what the, the point is, is that if you, are on the Christian path, it doesn't mean things are just going to be peachy king from there on out because you're serving the Lord, you know, but, um, from personal experience, things are much better, uh, on this path than they are on the opposite one. And, uh, you know, saved or unsaved people, they, we all walk a path of life and it's, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of difficulties in this life. And, um, and uh, my mom's name is Gina Stoven, and she spent a lot of time praying for me to get back on the right path, and I'm very thankful for that. And uh, and so I want to talk a little bit tonight about some of the pathways that we take in life. And um, and uh, so I would like to start by talking about board games, believe it or not. Have you ever, can you ever imagine uh, playing like, say, a game of like chess or Parcheesi or a game that you've never played before and all you have is all the pieces and some dice, but you don't have the rules uh, to the game, you know, and you just got a jumbled up mess. There'd be no way to play it. You know, you got your friends around. You would not be able to just, you know, start rolling the dice and figure it out. You you need the instructions and the rules on how to play the game, right? Um, or imagine, I don't think that there's probably any Lego nuts in here, but if you were to try and... <laughs> assemble like the 5,000 piece Star Wars Lego Death Star. 
right? Uh, without the instructions to uh, build that thing, you're just going to have a big jumbled up mess, right? It's just a big blob and it's going to look ridiculous. You're not going to be able to do it without the instructions and, unless you're like, you know, some big Lego guru. And if that's the case, then get a life. <laughs> um, uh, I see some old timers in here. So I can imagine that there was a time before there was, um, okay, we have Google Maps now, and we have Apple Maps, and you can literally say, you know, uh, hey, Apple, navigate me to this address, and say the address, and a little voice will come on your phone and say, turn right here, and turn left here, right? And it's extremely easy to get anywhere you want to go with no problems at all, right? No wrong turns even, and if you do, it's like flip a Yui here and go right back to where you're headed, right? But... There was a time before uh, MapQuest and Google Maps, or Google Maps and Apple Maps, there was even MapQuest where you had to, remember when you used to have to Google it and print out the directions? You guys remember that? <laughs> and like that made things way easier, right? Like way, way easier to, you know, just to have the kind of the piece of paper propped up and able to kind of follow that along. And, um, but even before that, Right. Okay. I, I was, when I was younger, I had, I worked for a delivery company, Beaver Express, and, um, we had to get the big map book out and it was like battleship in that thing. I mean, a 10 and you'd go to the thing. Does any, who remembers that? Oh my goodness. If you didn't have an idea how to use that book, first off, you, you had to know how to use the book. You couldn't just like open it up and be like, I'm going to find this place. No, it was a very complicated book. It was like a book that you had to learn in school, like probably high school, not even elementary, right? It was, you know, elevated at school, you know, uh, it was up there school, you know? And so I, I remember all that. And so I, I say that to say that, um, a very familiar verse, um, Proverbs three, verse five and six says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Psalms 25, 4 says, Show me thy way, O Lord, teach me thy paths. John 14, 6, a very familiar uh, passage. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. This Bible is definitely meant to be our rules. Uh, it has the instructions on how to navigate through the paths and it's a map, it's a guide for us. And it ultimately leads us to salvation. And uh, it gives us, you know, instructions on how to walk a path that is uh, better than our own, a better way. And um, so I thought that was kind of fun um, to kind of put that into an illustration like that. And so tonight um, I have five or six examples of some people. And really it's going to be each one of these people that I've kind of picked out as examples in the Bible um, much more could be said about every one of them. You know, each one has, you could preach a hundred messages on each in, individual person, but I'm just going to kind of give you the sports center highlights, you know, I mean, it's going to be kind of the boom, boom, um, you know, version of it. And so, um, and, and it's going to be just some certain paths that people take. The first one is going to be, um, the path that, you know, where people were kind of ornery their whole life and just barely got in, you know, and maybe got saved at just the last second. You know, they, they, they never got a hold of the things of God. They never got in this book. They never did anything to amount to anything, uh, in this Christian life or in a spiritual walk at all. Uh, and then at the very end, they kind of got things right. 
Um, so my first example would be over in uh, Luke chapter 23. If you want to turn over there. And there's really only just a couple of verses about this guy. Um, in Luke chapter 23 and verse starting in verse 39. And this is, and one of the male factors which were hanged railed on him saying, if thou be the Christ, if thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him saying, dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due rewards of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto the Lord, uh, and said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that today thou shalt be with me in paradise. This is awesome. You know what I mean? I mean, it kind of stinks. We don't really know a lot about this thief on the cross, but except for he's a thief on the cross, which means most likely he ended up there by living a rough life, right? I mean, I, I mean, it doesn't say a lot about him, you know, but the fact of the matter is that he he didn't live a good life. I mean, literally while he was dying, essentially he got he got in, he got into heaven, you know, just by believing right there with his dying words, you know, and it's incredible. Um, some of, you know, my mom, uh, Regina Stoven and, uh, one of my favorite soul winning stories that I've ever heard in my life, uh, came this year, uh, Easter Sunday. Um, my mom, uh, got word of, uh, this lady in a, in a nursing home. Her name was Candy and she was dying. Um, she didn't have a lot of time left and, um, my mom had been in there to see her before and witness to her and she didn't want anything to do with it. In fact, I think she even told my mom to leave the room and didn't want to hear or talk about it anymore. And, uh, you know, but things got a little bit worse. And one of her friends said, we need to go see Candy again. And she went in there to see her on Easter Sunday. You know, like my mom wanted to come over to my house on Easter Sunday because I cook and I made a 10 pound brisket and it was like probably the best brisket I've ever made. It was phenomenal, but we waited for her. You know what I mean? And she went in and saw candy and she got pointed with her, you know, and said, now candy, you've been a rascal all your life. You know what I mean? And now here you are at the very end. And you know what? And candy broke down and cried right there and accepted Jesus Christ as her personal savior, which is incredible, right? 10 days later, she died. That reminds me of the thief on the cross, right? Isn't that an incredible story? I love that. And that just happened this year. And like my mom's probably told me the story a whole bunch of times now. Cause I'm like, mom, tell me that story again. Tell me that story about candy again. You know, um, another person that, uh, I like to joke around about a little bit that I think was kind of like that was found over in the book of judges. Uh, if you want to turn over to book of judges chapter 14, And, uh, in my opinion, Samson, uh, was one of, I mean, this guy had every opportunity to be one of, I mean, I feel like we could have easily been reading the book of Samson, you know, I mean, the strongest man in the world, every young man loves this guy, you know, and, um, he was just awesome. And, uh, and, and we'll pick it up in Judges chapter 13 and verse 24 is where it says, uh, and the woman bare a son and called his name Samson and the child grew and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to move him at times, uh, in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshetol. And, uh, and in verse one, it says, and Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines 
And he came up and told his father and his mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me to wife. Time out. (laughs) Time out right there. Okay. I don't care if my little precious Samson is the strongest man alive. Okay. You you talk to me like that. I'm going to throw you a beating. (laughs) Right. Straight up. And now almost as if like his father is sitting there you know, trying to explain to him, well, honey, you know, don't you think he should marry one of our own people or something? He says in the next verse, then his father and his mother said unto him, is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren or among all my people that thou goest to take the wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said unto his father, get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. (laughs) Like cut him off, like mid-sentence, right? I always make this comparison, like if Serenity, you know, right here, or you, whoever's got kids in here, got a little boy or a little kid that comes up to him at the breakfast table or something and says, hey, hey, dad, I saw a cookie in the kitchen over there and go get it for me for it pleaseth me well. Right. And, <laughs> and, you know, I'm sitting there thinking like, okay, well, hold on a second. Don't you think you should have some oatmeal first or something nutritious for breakfast? And, and while you're explaining that to him, he cuts you off again and says, go get it for me for it pleaseth me well. Time out again, right? That's not a timeout. I'm, that's a beat down. You know what I mean? <laughs> Spanky butt times 10. Okay. Strongest man in the world or not. But, um, I think that the, it's, that's a funny story, but really that's, that's kind of the whole fall of Samson's life was literally that right there. Um, you don't have to turn there, but over in De- Deuteronomy, uh, chapter seven, I didn't even write this down, but I just remember it. It says, uh, in verse three, neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughters thou shalt not give unto his son, nor thy daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. And it says that because it will t- turn their heart away from serving the Lord. So there was a reason why his dad was doing an unsuccessful job of warning him to stay away from the, from the daughters, you know, uh, or from this woman. Right. But he ends up uh, doing it anyway. And, it, and I'm not going to explain the whole story. It ends up being a mess, um, you know. I always highlight the verses where he found a jawbone of a donkey and killed a thousand men. You know, it doesn't really have anything to do with this uh, thing, but I just like to throw that in there because that's so awesome. You know, a thousand men with a donkey bone. Well, that's great. Uh, but we know uh, in Judges chapter uh, 16 and verse 21, it says, but the Philistines took him. This is after Delilah, you know, tricked him and then. Ultimately, what happens, um, I'm not going to spend the whole time uh, telling the story, but we know that Samson at the very end gets Tyler's pillars and he calls on God after his hair grows. And, and, you know, he really accomplishes a great thing by pulling, you know, killing all the Philistines or whatever. But what a wasted life, right? Like what, I mean, I mean, he could have really done something like spectacular, but instead he didn't really stay on that, you know, really that good path the whole time. And, and he could have just been so much more. So that's, that's the, uh, the guys that kind of waited to the end to do something, you know? Um, so that's kind of my first, my first point. And then my second one, um, we're going to go over to the book of first Samuel real quick. And I'll just kind of, I'm going to, I'm going to go through a lot of scriptures on this guy, but I'm just going to kind of blast through it. And it's going to be just like a couple pages over. What I did was I kind of marked down a, like a breadcrumb trail, if you will, of Saul's decline, you know, and I'm sure that you guys have seen this before when you um, go through this, but it's just really incredible. Um, in, um, in first Samuel, 
you know, eight verses 19, it says that the people, this is where the people refuse and said, nay, but we will have a king over us. So the people are calling, they want a king, even though the, the, they were warned, you know, that if they were going to get a king, that they were going to demand their sons and their daughters and all these things. And it was going to be, you know, it wasn't going to be good if they, if they got a king over them, but they wanted one anyway. And, uh, I love this. Uh, in chapter 10, verses, uh, verse 6, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with him, and thou shalt be turned into another man. It's talking about Saul. And, uh, and then down in verse 9, it says, And when it was so, that when we had turned his back from to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart. So Saul had the same opportunity, I feel like. He had a tremendous opportunity to be an awesome dude in the Bible. I mean, God gave him another heart, a supercharged heart, like Superman, like a Superman heart, right? I mean, if God gave you another heart, it's not going to be a worser heart. It's going to be a better heart. It's going to be like a power heart, you know what I mean? Like a Care Bear heart or something, right? And, you know, and so he he was a king and and he was going to be, he had every chance to be just a fantastic king, but Little by little, like in chapter 13, uh, you know, uh, when he reigned a year in verse nine, it says, bring hither a burnt offering for me. This is where he, where Samuel tells him to not sacrifice to what he was supposed to wait for, for Samuel to get there. And what does he do? He, he, uh, he says in verse nine, bring me a burnt uh, offering to me and peace offering. And he makes the sacrifice anyway. And then Samuel comes and says in verse 13 and says, thou hast done foolishly. And, uh, and so there he just kind of makes his first mistake. And then um, you go along to uh, chapter 15 and verse 3 when, it, when Samuel tells him now go, uh, or the Lord uh, tells him now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. And skip down to verse 9 on chapter 15. It says, but Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatlings, and of the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly, utterly destroy them. But then he goes and he tells Samuel a couple verses later that he did utterly destroy them. And Samuel, in verse 14, says, what is this bleed, bleeding in my ears of the sheep and the lowing of the oxen, right? Well, if you destroyed them all, then how come I'm hearing all this livestock? Like, clearly you didn't destroy them all. You so, and then, and then skip down to verse 23. It says, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, which ultimately... For the sake of time, I'm just going to keep pushing on here, is what he goes and he does. The spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit troubled him. Um, and then even further on, uh, you know, where remember he raises up Samuel's bones. Uh, he gets a witch, that witch of Endor or whatever, and raises up Samuel's bones, and Samuel comes up and is like, Why are you bothering me? And you know, and like uh, you know, leave me let me sleep and and uh, Samuel ends up falling on his own sword in battle with his sons, Jonathan. Remember Jonathan? I love Jonathan. And and uh, and just, you know, I don't think Saul uh, ever got back on the right path. In fact, I think Saul's probably burning in hell. I don't have any reason to believe that he made it into the pearly gates. I don't think we're going to see him when we get there. I, I don't know for sure, but it doesn't seem like that to me. Uh, he made he made really bad decisions in his life and ultimately ended up to his uh, ultimate destruction. Um so that's my second guy, the guy that never got back on the right path. At least the first people got back on the right path and, you know, will probably be in heaven, right? That's a big deal because, you know, Saul, man, he's, he's doomed, you know? Um, the third guy I'd like to talk about is David. 
Uh, David, uh, the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. And uh, David was is one of my favorite uh, people in the Bible. And I, I'm sure a lot of people can say that, you know, the, uh, when it says when he was just a young boy tending the, tending the flock that a bear came along and tried to get his flock and he killed the bear with his hands and a lion came along and he killed the lion with his bare hands. And uh, obviously he killed Goliath, you know, when Goliath came out there and said, how, you know, he said, how dare you defy the armies of the living God, right? And he, man, I feel like nobody ever preaches on David and Goliath anymore. Like it's only a kid's story, right? But it's the best story ever, you know? I, I love that story. And uh, and then, uh, you know, the whole thing with Saul and David goes on for a long time. But um, in in Second uh, Samuel chapter 11 is where I want to talk about just real quick. And I'm just going to tell a little bit of this story. This is where uh, David is, you know, a good king. He's a man after God's own heart. But this is where he was walking around on his rooftop. You know the story when he sees Bathsheba, right? And he sees her bathing, and he sends her husband to the front lines in battle, and he falls in battle, and then he takes uh, Bathsheba to be his wife, right? And uh, he, he commits, a, a, you know, he looks at her, he commits murder, adultery, all these things, like wicked, wicked crimes, right? And, uh, and this is where Nathan comes along the scene. And uh, in chapter 12 and uh, verse 1, it says, And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children, and did eat of his own meat and drink of his own cup, and lay in his bosom, and when uh, and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared uh, to take of his own flock uh, and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took for the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man was come uh, to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord liveth, the man that has done this thing shall surely die and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And this is the gut punch. And Nathan said to David, and you can just see it if you just, you should use your imagination when you read the Bible. You should really use your imagination because you can really picture this in your head. David's like, who did this? Who did this? And Nathan goes, thou art the man, right? Oh, gut punch, right? But you see, but that's the spot where Saul messed up back there and he could have stayed off that, you know, and he stayed off and he just went down, down, down and just steadily declined, never Never got back right, never repented, never tried to get the thing right. He just kept going down. But David, David gets the thing right, right? He gets right back on the track and he just, the, the sure mercies of David. Everybody knows about the sure mercies of David. And he gets right back on and he just feels terrible about it. And so every, we all know that story, right? Uh, David makes another mistake. Uh, you know, it talks about, um, later on in his life towards, towards the end where he numbers the people of Israel. And it said that Satan moved him to number the people. And the reason that that was a, a big thing is because he was putting his pride in his numbers instead of his, his pride in the Lord, and instead of knowing that the Lord had his back, you know? So it was a wicked thing that he did. And it cost him 70,000 men, you know? Um, 
You'll see that later on. It's in second, it's in first chronicles, but we're not going to go there. But either way, he gets right back on the path. Everybody knows David was a mighty man. He was an awesome man after God's own heart, like I said, and he was just an awesome dude, right? And he got off the path a couple of times, but he got back on, right? And he loved the Lord. And so that's the guy that kind of got off the path and got, you know, got back on a couple of times. Um, I'm going to skip my last point uh, or my, one of my last guys and just move on. But it was going to be Rehoboam and Jeroboam. You guys remember Rehoboam, the guy who, you know, said, I'm going to chastise. Well, we'll just do a, the quick version of it, okay? Um, in, in 1 Kings chapter 12, uh, Rehoboam was, uh, or Jeroboam was one of Solomon's uh, former officials and king of Israel in the north. And uh, Rehoboam was Solomon's son and king of Israel in the south. And, uh, just real quick, uh, this, this whole thing, uh, first Kings chapter 12, I said, remember this, remember this, when, uh, the people came to him and said, now, uh, your father made our yoke heavy, uh, and we're asking you to lighten it up on us a little bit. <clears throat> and, uh, he, it says in verse eight that he forsook the counsel of the old men. So he was at a crossroads here, right? Like. I like to call this one the crossroads. You know, he had a, he had an opportunity to do the right thing, but he ultimately didn't. And there was consequences of that that affected, um, not just him, but all, everything. After this, um, Rehoboam and, Jer- and Jeroboam, the, the, the kingdom of Israel was split and there was continual warfare for their entire lives. But, uh, for centuries afterwards in Israel was a divided nation because of these, you know, ridiculous decisions, you know, um, to, why would you tell the people that you're going to rake them over the coals before you do it anyway? Didn't you, you would think that like, you know, maybe do it a little bit more discreetly before it gain control first and then do it right. Like, no, I'm going to tell you that I'm going to do it first. And then they rebelled, obviously. Right. Like that's to me, I was always like, you Rehoboam was a ding dong, you know? <laughs> I mean, straight up, right? So, uh, Jeroboam was a man, a man of valor, a mighty man of valor, but Rehoboam, you know, but Jeroboam even messed up at the end of his life too. Um, all right. I'm going to drive this home a little bit better. And, uh, I'd like to you to go, uh, please, if you will, to Jeremiah chapter three, <clears throat> I, uh, am reading my Bible through this year with serenity. We're actually doing it together. We're doing it one and a half times. And, um, I was approaching Jeremiah and I was kind of dreading it. I got to be honest with you. I have a tough time reading through Jeremiah. Um, it's hard. It was a hard read for me that I remember the last time I did it. And, uh, so I was kind of dreading it. And then I started reading it and I, and the Lord started showing me some, some things in there. And I was like, well, I feel bad for that now, you know, Jeremiah. All right. So, but in chapter three, um, something just kind of stuck out to me that I feel like really went along with this message. And, uh, in, in verse one, it says, they say, if a man put away his wife and she go uh, from him and become another man's, shall he return unto her again? <clears throat> shall not that land be greatly polluted? But thou hast played the harlot with many lovers. Yet return me to again, saith the Lord, lift up thine eyes unto the high places and see where thou hast uh, not been lying with. So what he's doing is referring Israel was so backslidden in, in the things that they were doing. They got so far off the path and so far off the track that God was referring it to an unfaithful spouse. 
right? So that's a pretty bad comparison, right? Like, and then if you skip forward to verse 12, Jeremiah 3, 12, it says, go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, return thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord, and I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you for I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not hold, keep my anger forever. Time out. If we had an unfaithful spouse, right? I don't think I'm going to be saying, return unto me, and I will not hold on to my anger, for I am merciful. I think I'm going to be kind of the opposite of that. I am going to hold on to my anger. I am not going to be merciful, and honestly, don't return unto me, right? I mean, truth truth be told, right? And I know that um, what this passage, uh, in, in verse 13, I'll just finish it out. It says, only acknowledge thine iniquity, admit what you've done. And that thou transgressed against the Lord thy God and scattered the ways to strangers under every green tree, and ye have not obeyed my voice, said the Lord. Now, uh, turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you. I feel like um, the comparison here is pretty brutal to be compared to an unfaithful spouse. But then for him to just come right back in a couple of verses later and say, just come back to me and I won't hold on to my anger. I'll forget about it. I'll be merciful. Okay, so like maybe not all of us uh, have gotten off the path that bad, right? Like I know I was pretty far off the path when I was younger, but definitely in certain areas, we've all gotten off the path from time to time, right? Maybe in Bible reading or prayer, or easy things that are easy to get off the path, right? There's some things are really easy to get off the path uh, on this Christian life on, really easy. And um Maybe you, through your Bible reading or through listening to messages, um, maybe even this message, it's a warning shot, you know, fired from God saying, hey, you've been backslidden a little bit in this area and I'm getting ready to let the hammer drop. I'm getting ready to let it fall. But if you return to me and you get back on it, then I'll withhold my anger and I'll be merciful and I won't hold on to my anger forever. Right? If he did that with what looks like an unfaithful spouse, he would do that in a smaller area, surely. You know, like if if you just stopped reading your Bible in the morning or stopped praying or, you know, maybe weren't as faithful as you used to be once in church or, you know, you had some things that you were listening to or watching or something, just little areas, right? And you got off that. And the Lord's fired out a couple warning shots like, hey, get the thing right and I'll let it go. You know, I just want you to come back to me. I just want you to, you know, I won't hold on. His mercies are new every single day, right? It says his mercies are new every morning. Tomorrow morning, his mercies are new. Morning after that, his mercies are new again. That's a fantastic truth. And that's a fantastic little spot in Jeremiah, that little nugget that I found in my just my regular Bible reading to, you know, get back on the path in certain areas in even my own life and, and certainly in anybody else's that, you know, have maybe, you know, can relate to that. Right. So that's almost my entire message. I have one other guy that I want to talk about. I can see in this room that it looks like everybody here is a saved. I can assume that everybody's a Christian, but there's one other guy who walked a path in this life and, um, he walked a very difficult path. Um, and he did it without sinning one time and he walked the path all the way to the cross. Uh, Jesus Christ walked the perfect path, a very difficult path all the way to the cross. And he laid down his life willingly so that we could go to heaven one day. 
Um, turn over real quick to uh, Hebrews, and I'm just wrapping it up right now. Hebrews chapter 4. In chapter uh, 4 and verse 15, it says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. That's incredible. <clears throat> I've, uh, <clears throat> me and a guy uh, named Chuck Williams at our church recently started this year in January, we started doing a max line ministry where we go out and we try and witness to people and give people the gospel that ride the train around out in uh, Hillsborough and Beaverton. <clears throat> Can I have this? Oh, and uh, once in a while, we get people out there that, you know, when we're, when, you know, the, the goal for me is always to try and get into one or two conversations with, you know, even if they're already saved at the end and we find out that that's fine. Just to get, get out there and try and sharpen your sword a little bit. You know what I mean? And, and get it out there. But once in a while you get these people that say, well, I just don't, I just don't know how a God could just send people to hell. You know, how, I don't see how God could send people to hell. And I'm always just like, you know what? Like, Hey, listen, check it out. Okay. God did every single thing he could possibly do to keep you out of hell. He gave his only son to keep you out of hell. And he made it so simple to where all you have to do is take it like a gift. If you reject that gift, you sent yourself to hell. You know what I mean? And that's just the fact of the matter. So, you know, it, it's a free gift. And, and from a sinless man that walked one of the most difficult paths we'll ever see in our entire life. And so anyway, that's the message that I have on some of the pathways. And so I hope that helps a little bit if, you know, if you've ever gotten off the path, maybe a little bit from time to time and, you know, a good uh, encouragement to get back on the path, maybe before God drops the hammer. And uh, we'll just say a quick word of prayer before we uh, close up here. So, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to come out to this church and just be a, you know, it's just a huge blessing to be able to stand behind this in particular pulpit and I thank you for the men that stood here before me, and I thank you for showing me some of these things in Jeremiah and some of these examples that you've given us about getting off the path and getting back on and staying on the path. And we thank you so much for Jesus Christ who walked the perfect path. And uh, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ who paid the price on the cross so that we can have a home in heaven one day so we don't have to go to hell. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.